0: welcome to the fantasy NBA today podcast well the old cold bug got me I fought it I battled it I did my level best but it got me damn thing got me it's not the it's not the vid I'm gonna knock on wood here or I don't think it is at least maybe I should rapid test myself. Kids have colds, they're in schools, it's all that stuff. I I fought them off for a long time. Kids have had like five colds in the last 2 months and this I think is only the second one I'm going to catch from them. So whatever, all of that to say, this is going to be a slightly shorter show. We're going to kind of blitz through the uh was that a five game recap from yesterday? And uh, give you a little preview of a a slightly larger card coming up tonight. But this is going to be one of those, you know, try to mash it in 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 25 minutes or so before I completely run out of strength. Don't worry, though. I'm hopped up on goofballs. I'll get us through this thing. I am Dan Vesperus. This is Fantasy NBA Today. A Sports Ethos presentation. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Dan Vesperus. Hey! Some of you, I think, actually took my advice and went over and followed at Ethos Fantasy BK. It's up to 9249 meow. That uh did I just say meow? I think I just did a super trooper's bit. The goal is 10K for that fantasy news feed. It really should get there. It's it's a hell of a news feed. It's the best combination of speed and accuracy on a fantasy news feed out there anywhere. Ethos Fantasy. A couple little tidbits on the injury front as we get the day started. Uh, Not injury, I guess, but the Pistons and the Wizards game has been postponed this evening. Detroit, or the Pistons, I should say, rather, are stuck in Dallas. They can't get out after their game against the Mavericks a couple days back. The Pistons and Wizards game will be rescheduled at a later date. You are just kind of screwed until... They reschedule, but if you have a bunch of those guys in your lineups this week, you're just wearing it, which is a real shame because it sounded like Daniel Gafford was going to play if, uh, if those teams actually managed to get to their court. Uh, Time Lord is back, so that was a very short absence for him. That's good news. Devin Booker, a little bit of an update on Booker. He is out tonight, but they're hoping to have him back by the end of the week. That's a really good sign. They'll bring him along a little bit slowly, but he's a guy that has the fantasy profile where basically as soon as he hits 20 minutes, you can get him into your lineup. That might very well be his first game back. Typically, I don't start a guy who's missed whatever it is, about a month for him, I think, in that first game, but also, you know, with someone like an Anthony Davis, we did it because AD can have value in 18 minutes. And for Booker, it's more like 20 to 22 minutes, but we could get him there. Tyrese Halliburton, good news on that front as well. They're hoping to have him back for this upcoming back-to-back. That starts tomorrow for Indiana. Uh, I thought maybe they'd save him and play him after the first game, but Rick Carlisle was saying that they they think he can get back as early as tomorrow, which, of course, on the flip side means you can probably dump TJ McConnell. His run is done. If you were still hanging on to any of those other fringy pacers, those guys, their runs are likely done as well. It's an interesting time. Because, you know, a lot of us, I know, have been riding this TJ McConnell thing, and it's been a serious wave for that dude since Halliburton went down, but we always knew there was a a finite endpoint on it. The question, I guess, is, is this good news or bad news for you individually? Uh, It means, you know, do you have more TJ or McConnells on your team than you did Tyrese Halliburton's that went down? And for me, the answer is yes. So I'm a little disappointed, but you can probably... You know, a lot of the time I say don't make a, a preemptive drop. But we've already seen, we know what the Pacers are like when Halliburton's back. And there just isn't really enough ball handling opportunity for McConnell in those spots. Let's take a look back at Tuesday again. We're going to zip through this stuff because I'm, I got the strength to get us through this show. And then I'm going to go lie down on the floor. Miami beat Cleveland in a low scoring uh, gross fest. 197 difference. The ball game was free throws. Miami got 25 of them. Cleveland only got 12. Caleb Martin had a good ball game, but I don't care. The guys I were I was watching on the Miami side were Victor Oladipo and Kyle Lowry, who was terrible again. And I have to admit, Lowry's testing my patience right now, even his minutes were down in this one, because he just didn't look good, and he hasn't really looked good since he came back from. That latest thing, he had like one or two decent ones and he's just kind of been floating along where it almost seems like Oladipo has hurt him more than others. I'm still holding on both of those guys because I, I, here's the the calculus, especially on the Lowry side, maybe a little bit less so with Oladipo because he's coming off the bench. Kyle Lowry is a starting point guard in the NBA. There are only 30 of those. And some teams don't even really employ one, so it's technically a little bit less than 30 of those. Lowry has rest-of-season value. He's not a guy whose value is tied necessarily to someone in front of him being out. So a lot of the questions I get on Lowry are, oh, should I drop him for X injury streamer? And typically my answer then is no because you generally want to veer back towards the guy who has the better long-term profile, even if they're slumping a little bit right now, which he very much is. He's in a deep, dark, disgusting slump. He is trying my patience, as I said a moment ago, so the the leash here on how long before he does hit a waiver wire is not infinite in length, but it's longer than this. So I'm going to give Lowry a bit longer Unless someone pops up that has true rest-of-season potential, then I think you do have to kind of, as hard as it's been, I think you have to hang on. And then with Oladipo, he's been able to float things a little bit with some assists, some steals, stuff like that. He's also kind of teetering on the brink with a healthy heat around him right now. Uh, But I'll give him a little bit longer as well. Not so much because he's a reliable starter, but because he does have a pretty translatable fantasy game uh, provided his field goal percent doesn't drop below 40. Because that's been pretty rough. Nothing of note on the Cleveland side, so let's move along to the next one. Lakers had a six-point lead with a minute and a half to go in regulation. They managed to blow it. Uh, <laughs> even th- th- this game was so funny. And watching it as a as a as someone who uh, is more of a Lakers fan slash Lakers analyst a little bit, dabbling in that side of things, to watch... To to see Anthony Davis get called for an offensive foul at the end of the ball game on basically what would have been the, another final possession for L.A., I, I just I could feel Lakers Twitter, but L.A. managed to hang on. Uh, LeBron and AD got a stop on Julius Randle at the end of regulation, and then the Lakers really looked good in overtime. Oddly, uh, largely because Russ looked good in overtime. LeBron now just 89 points away from passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or is it 89 from tying? I forget. He's right around 90. That's, we'll ballpark it here on today's show. Uh, we had some other Lakers that did make a little bit of noise in this ballgame. Rui Hachimura, 19-9 with a block. That was that replay review block where he got a, uh, a Brunson floater right at the very tippy top. He also had a couple of threes. All right, so here's the thing with Hachimura. We've talked about this plenty of times, but it's worth repeating. He's a three-category guy. This block was uh, uncommon for him. The field goal percent being good is, I think, something to be expected around AD and LeBron, and even Russ to a certain degree, because as, as bad as the decision-making is for Westbrook sometimes, he is someone who gets his teammates involved and and can score. I mean, he doesn't hit that many threes either. The two yesterday for Hachimura probably on the higher side for him. So effectively, he's a three-category guy. Points, boards, field goal percent. That's typically not enough in 9-cat. Unless you're very, very good at the three things that we're talking about. And yesterday, he was pretty good at those three things. But I wouldn't say enough to say very. And I also wouldn't say enough to to claim that this is something that's just going to be every game. I guess. Is he going to have 19 points most ball games? I doubt it. Nine rebounds? Probably also a bit on the high side. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game, it's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area. Find the best deals on game day drinks and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Overtime helped. So Hachimura is someone I think I would consider more in the points league situation, where it doesn't really matter how many categories you're good at. If you're good enough at a couple of them, that's enough to give you value. Russ played better, but, I mean, Russ is Russ, so no uh, alterations there. Um, Troy Brown obviously didn't get 17 rebounds again. Typically for 9-cat, I'm playing LeBron and AD, and that's it. 8-cat, maybe you could look at Russ sometimes. Points leagues, yes, of course. And then Hachimura, like we talked about, He's, he's pivots more in that direction for the Knicks. Isaiah Hartenstein played 40 minutes of this game. Jericho Sims picked up four fouls in 13 minutes. He just frankly wasn't very good. And, and as a basketball player, he's not all that good. Sims is in there to rebound and get a couple of putback dunks. That's it. Does this situation change how the Knicks allot their minutes going forward? I'm inclined to think the answer is no, but I did pick up Hardenstein in two of my leagues, and I'm in a lot. I, you know, I pared it down. I had like 14 or 15 last year. I think I'm down to 9 or 10 this season, so it feels like a lot less. But I still have a bunch. And I picked up Hardenstein in two of them. They're games cap format leagues because this is really about just sticking them on a bench for a game or two or really seeing if Tibbs considers flip-flopping who's starting for his team because Hardenstein was a plus 10 in a game the Knicks lost by six. Not as silly as LeBron being a (laughs) plus-22. Yeah. Uh, You know, he can't play every minute of the ballgame, unfortunately. Um, Lakers would be a lot better if he could. But, you know, again, looking at the Knicks side, Emmanuel Quickly also outplayed R.J. Barrett in this game. Barrett only saw 27 minutes. He's not someone I would ever touch in 9-cat anyway, but if you have Barrett in a points format, you just sort of roll with it. Um, Quickly six of 12 from the field five of six the free throw line he was also orchestrating pretty well Lakers were struggling with guards which and I hate to do this but like Pat Beverly missing this ball game probably had something to do with it he's not what he used to be Pat Bev but he's a way better defender than Dennis Schroeder that's the honest to goodness truth Lakers need Schroeder's offense but he's getting run over um Quickly is a guy that I've been talking about on the show since Mitchell Robinson went down. Because I keep thinking the Knicks are going to have no choice but to go a tiny bit smaller. And they haven't really done it yet. You know, centers, Hartenstein and Sims split every center minute in this ballgame. Right down to the very second. 53 minutes exactly between the two of them. Hartenstein got 40 of them. Sims got the other 13. So Hardenstein is my speculative ad. Emmanuel quickly is a guy that I've had on teams for a little bit here. I just haven't had the stones to play him on the Roto side. Head-to-head, I think he he's a guy you could probably just play and get what you get. So I kind of like him a little bit. Clippers, a big comeback win. They won it despite shooting 40% somehow. I mean, I guess the somehow is that their defense has gotten better here lately. Kawhi is destroying people. Oh, man. It's, it's so satisfying because you guys know I have plenty of Kawhi's, and it was really unnerving early in the year when none of it was panning out. I mean, he tried to play a couple of ball games, it didn't happen. They had to sit him for a while. I know he's going to rest on back to backs, and you know, there's always going to be a couple coming up, but he's been unreal of late. He's the number 1 player in fantasy basketball over the last month. Yeah, we're talking about Kawhi Leonard right now. He's at basically number 100 by totals on the season at this point, which is crazy. Uh considering how much time he missed at the front end and you know, he's just he's turned his season into I believe a success. Is there a universe where Kawhi Leonard could get to his ADP. Probably not. You know, he missed he, he simply just missed too much time at the front end. You know, he, he's like 20 some odd games behind the the pace car in games played. So, best case scenario for Kawhi at this point is probably playing in like 55 of 82 ball games. And and frankly, when you drafted him, you probably were hoping he would get to 62 He's probably he's not going to get there. He's already missed 20 games plus, so he's not going to get to 62. But if he plays in 55 ball games, at what I believe at the end of the year will ultimately be a mid first round pace, because right now you know he's not first round overall on the year uh, because of that sort of slow start when they were ramping him up. But he's number 19 on a per game basis now, and he's just and he's climbing like two or three slots every single ball game. He's He'll chase down Porzingis and LeBron probably in the next week. He'll chase down Markin and Donovan Mitchell and Harden probably the week after that. So he'll be a first-rounder per game by the end of the year. Which, again, I mean, if he gets a 55 ball games, he probably gets pretty damn close to his mid-20s for Roto, late-20s, early-30s head-to-head ADP. Not that anyone would ever draft him on the head-to-head side because you know the risks involved. But patience! patience my young apprentices patience I would say the same thing basically about Middleton although honestly that one scared me more because he just disappeared we we put so much on what a player does the first month of the season but it counts the same as all the other months the only problem of, like with with the first month being a slow one is that one of our main tenets in playing fantasy basketball is you want to get off to a quick start. And that's hard to do if one of your key guys is out for the first two months of the year when you weren't expecting them to be. You know, It's one of the other things. Don't draft an injured player because it sets you behind the eight ball. Well, sometimes it just falls into your lap. It's unfortunate, but it's true, and that's kind of what happened with Kawhi. It's what happened with Chris Middleton. It happens. It just bad things fall into your lap, but you cannot sell these guys For someone who isn't a difference maker, for someone who doesn't move the ball forward for your team, it really does your team no good, specifically for games cap, but I think a little bit on the head to head side as well. Like a top 100 plotter is what was being suggested as a return on Kawhi Leonard when he was out indefinitely earlier in the year. You're basically talking about Patrick Williams, who again has been healthy. To Patrick's credit, I think his totals value is is actually pretty decent. He's number 91 by totals on the year. But guess what? You know who's 7, nope, 11 slots behind him? Kawhi freaking Leonard. He's going to pass him next week. So these plotters that everybody's talking about, the guys that have been hovering around that 100 mark and just sort of slowly, well, a little bit behind it, those were the names that were thrown out. Royce O'Neal, Keegan Murray, Patrick Williams for Kawhi. Patience. Those guys aren't really helping your fantasy team. Those are guys that, well, Keegan's on the upswing now, so less so him. Uh, But even as recently as like three weeks ago, he was a guy that everybody was coming to me saying, do I need to keep holding this dude? Don't trade your guy with first round per game upside. First round. It's different for Middleton because he's like, Late third, early fourth, or mid-fourth round potential. Not first! It's happening with Cat right now. Now, the issue there is, does he come back by your playoffs? So I get it. It's a little bit more nuanced than just guy out at beginning of year. But these players that are top 25, they just... They're too important. They're too important to give up on for a basement-level player. Unless you're about to fall out of your playoffs in a head-to-head league, or if we're like confirmed that they're not going to be back in time. Speaking of Patrick Williams, I actually kind of like him as a head-to-head pickup. I don't know if I would use him on the roto side. He's, again, a guy that just sort of fills a game's cap. That's the guy you play if you're lagging too far behind in a game's cap. But a head-to-head, you could really play him every day, provided the Bulls don't have a terrible schedule in a given week. Four games out of Patrick Williams right now is a quality week. So feel free to add him and play him in head-to-head. I don't think there's a whole lot of upside there, but he does kind of fill out the back end of your roster somewhat nicely. Middleton, we've spoken of him here in the uh, patience element. Well, he looked really good yesterday. Chris played 20 minutes. He's very close to a spot where I would consider dumping him into a lineup. I don't, you know, most games he's not going to go 8 of 8 at the free-throw line. He happened to have a particularly good game, which players tend to do against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Although, you know, Milwaukee didn't shoot very well, but there were so many possessions. That's the beauty of playing the Hornets. There's just so many possessions that even if you don't shoot that great, you still rack up fantasy numbers. Like I've said before, I'll start Middleton when he hits 24 minutes, which is close. We're getting there. And so then you're down to... Uh, Basically, four of the five starters. Everybody besides Grayson Allen is going to be playable on the games cap side. Those other guys for Milwaukee, they're like, they'll be low-end schedule streams once Milton hits his stride. And for Charlotte, that's two games in a row for Gordon Hayward where he's actually been efficient. Still not getting steals or blocks, which he doesn't really do, but the turno- turnovers excuse me, have been lower. The field goal and free throw percent have been better. And maybe we're starting now... <laughs> beginning of february it was a long road to hoe for him but it does look like Hayward's starting to play a little bit better i have no regrets about dropping him in leagues two and a half months ago he's been awful and i don't even think that as he gets better here it's going to be difference maker level he's better again he's better in points leagues because he doesn't get steals or blocks he doesn't hit that many threes uh, percentages are improving here, but they've been bad so far this year. And turnovers have been bad. But it's possible that he goes on, you know, maybe he gets back to sort of Hayward form and can post like top 80 value for a little bit. So if he's floating around on a waiver wire, this is the spot where I would, I would pick him back up. And if you're like, Dan, no one ever dropped him in my league. I'd be like, well, they probably should have because he was doing more harm than good up until one game ago. You know, we're 50 games into the season. If you're trotting a top 200 player out every game, he's crushing you. So I have no regrets on that front, even if he now plays a little bit better between here and the end of the year. Terry Rozier, shot wasn't falling, but the other stuff continues to be better for him. I'm intrigued. Where is Rozier now after another... I would call this one kind of a middling ball game. I didn't like the field goal percent, but the other stuff was good. He's at 94 now. There's another guy, Patience, also you know, buy so very, very low on Rozier. Uh, and Denver-New Orleans was the last game of the night. No real surprises on the Denver side. I keep trying to tell you guys that KCP is actually, like, pretty good when the team is fully healthy. He's up to number 78 on a per-game basis, and he goes as the team goes. When everybody's healthy, KCP's wide open. He's going to shoot better. He's going to get more steals and blocks. He just he's more settled He needs those big gravity players to make him good because it's not going to be about usage with KCP. It's about doing the other stuff, which is just easier when the team is fully healthy. He should be rostered everywhere. I'm super surprised that KCP got dropped in a bunch of spots uh, because we were able to draw a pretty clear line between when he was more effective and when he wasn't. It's funny. you know. Bruce Brown's the guy who gets good when someone's hurt on Denver. When they're fully healthy, he doesn't get to do very much. And it flips with KCP. When they're healthy, he's the perfect fit. In any event, uh, the Pelicans fringe guys apparently listened to uh, our Monday podcast and were like, Dan says we're not going to be good anymore after Brandon Ingram gets back to full strength. Well, screw you, Dan. Herb Jones, monster game. Six out of eight shooting, couple of threes, five steals, seven of eight at the free throw line. I don't know where the hell this came from. Uh, Larry Nance thirteen and eleven with two steals, Trey Murphy, fourteen and three with two steals. These guys are gonna fall off. We know they're gonna fall off. j v uh, we knew he was going to fall off when guys started to come back. so that one at least was kind of expected with Nance, I can't trust it. It's too hit or miss with him lately. Trey Murphy, same thing, a little bit too hit or miss. He's all about efficiency, which is is good. But it also means that there just sort of needs to be a consistent amount he gets. Do you need to drop these guys right now? Um, probably not. Uh, but it's, I would think, going to trend that way. In the meantime, if you're in a games cap format, I so for me, I don't have the, again, I don't have the stones to play these guys in Gamescap because I don't know what kind of game you're going to get on any given night. Head-to-head, you could probably keep playing them for now. Uh, because they'll be probably falling a bit in that schedule stream zone. Maybe you get a couple games where they're better. Great, you catch them on the right night. That's where I sit with those Pelicans uh, in terms of where and when to deploy them. All righty, what do we got coming up tonight? What do we got coming up tonight? Orlando is at Philadelphia. Jonathan Isaac is questionable. They're thinking about giving him another day off here. World's slowest rebound. That's how it's going to be. It's what we knew. Now, I may have even undershot by saying I thought it would take him three weeks to get up near 20 minutes. It might be more than that. Because we're a week and a half, basically, into his return, and he still hasn't cleared 10 minutes. I know. On the Philly side, we'll keep an eye on DeAnthony Melton. Embiid is questionable for this ballgame, and they might... I don't know. Philly just let their guard down. This is a rematch of a game from Monday where Orlando beat them by 10. I don't expect Philly to lose this ball game. I would assume that Embiid plays after losing the last one. It doesn't seem like a spot where he would take the day off, but I guess you never know. Portland, you're starting to see news articles popping up about how Yusuf Nurkic is not the answer there. I thought that was a really interesting thing. Kevin O'Connor had the quote that Like, until they get serious, if they get serious, Nurk is not the answer at center. So Drew Eubanks is just kind of kicking around in the back of my head. He's droppable while Nurk is healthy, but be ready. I don't know that that's what that quote really meant, that, like, they need to go to Eubanks instead. I think the thought is they need to have just a different solution at center. But if they decide they need to go defense over offense, that's how that dynamic could shift a little bit. But Nurk is on a big contract, so I don't really know how all of that would play out. We'll see. Memphis, uh, I think you'll see Brandon Clark plenty in this ballgame because, you know, Nurk is a big dude, but he's also kind of a lumbering ox these days. Can't guard anybody. They'll just blow right past him. So I would expect Clark to have a nice ball game. I think he'll probably start over Tillman, but I don't know for sure until we get there. Brooklyn, nothing. Boston, sounds like the Time Lord is back. Marcus Smart, probably not. So you can, I would imagine, continue to go with Derek White uh, and Malcolm Brogdon as kind of your point guard fill-in stuff. And then, obviously, you're starting your your two big men there. Warriors, I've been keeping an eye on Dante DiVincenzo. I'm guessing it probably won't be quite enough for 12-teamers, but throw them on your watch list. Andrew Wiggins is probably the more important thing to track here. Is he finally now fully healthy? I would like to know. Minnesota, not much, really, unless somebody else sits that we're not aware of uh, because slow-mo is just a consistent stream. Oklahoma City, kind of the same No, excuse me. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is actually supposed to be back for uh, the the Thunder here. So does that then potentially put a dent into Jalen Williams? I don't know. Because Jalen Williams was playing enough before Robinson Earl and before Poku got hurt, but his his role within that unit was smaller. So keep a little bit of an eye on that. Houston's kind of interesting. Jalen Green didn't practice, and Kevin Porter Jr. is out indefinitely. So this is this marvelous opportunity. And I want to kind of stop and yell this at all of you. Make sure Tari Eason is not on a waiver wire. Do it now. Stop what you're doing and Check. Because you very rarely get an opportunity to pick up a young deadline stash player like Eason, who also has probably the week leading up to it to kind of get loose a little. You know, if Green sits, I know that you're not talking about like an obvious front court replacement thing, where with Eason, if someone's down in the front court, it becomes a much easier play for him. But if those two guys are out, there's just so much usage to go around He'll get 25 minutes, I would think, even if he doesn't get up to like 31 when a front court player's out. 25 is enough. We've seen, and then you you can just ride that straight through to the deadline, and maybe you catch. I've been trying to call this a streamer with benefits, starring Justin Timberlake, and was Mina Suvall, No, it was uh, was Mila Kunis, Kunis the other one in that movie. There were two of those movies that came out at the same time about being friends with benefits. I think one was. Ashton Kutcher and, oh, Natalie Portman? And the other one was Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis. Well, look, streamer with benefits. It's Tari Eason for you now. Kings, nothing really. You know, the continued growth of Keegan Murray. San Antonio, Jeremy Sohan, I I think he deserves one eye on him at the very least. And then whatever the hell they're doing at the center spot right now, because it, again, mostly feels like they're bubble-wrapping Pirtle, but then every once in a while they just let him play. Toronto, uh, Precious Achua stream, Utah, Kelly Olenek's minutes. As they start to ramp back up, we'll figure out when we can deploy him, but he should probably be back on rosters. Atlanta, I'm assuming Trey Young is back for this ballgame, but I haven't heard anything either yay or nay on him. And if he is, that means that Bogdanovich is probably going to fizzle out the way we saw before. And then with Phoenix, nothing yet. But Devin Booker actually put out a tweet. Uh, When did that come out? Oh, three minutes ago. Three minutes ago, Devin Booker tweeted, round and third. I do love a basketball player making a baseball reference to signify that he is coming back. He is almost home. So Booker's getting close, which doesn't really change much for the Suns because you haven't been dabbling in these other things. It'll probably, I mean, Chris Paul will do a little bit less, but everybody on the team gets a tiny bit better just from a from a vibes standpoint when Booker gets in there. It'll be a little bit of a knock on Paul. It'll be a little knock on Bridges. It'll take a little away from Cam Johnson, but all these guys have been doing fine, and now that guys look like they're playing looser and happier again, you know, it's, it's good news there. I don't know if it's going to be soon enough to save one of my teams that's missing Booker and Durant, and for a little bit there, oh, I had to, I mean, we talked about this on a show, whatever it was, two, three weeks ago. Every once in a while, we all just come across our one team where everything just goes wrong. And on that team, Middleton, Durant, Ubre, Booker, Olynyk were all out at the same time, and Kawhi was just coming back. He was, like, just getting going, right? He he hadn't fully hit top gear yet when these other dudes went down. What are you going to do, man? You fall super far behind in games played, or you play guys that probably de- don't deserve to play? Or both? Yeah, that team is scratching and clawing. At least Kawhi's in there. If only that team could get fully healthy. If I had that team with Kawhi and KD going at the same time, just an efficiency juggernaut. I can't imagine that anybody would touch me in the percentages of that Roto League if I had both Kawhi and KD rolling at the same time. But, woof, just not happening. Ah, well. All right, that's your look ahead. My voice is extremely fatigued. To those of you listening here on the recorded side, I would invite you to join us over on YouTube for our shows uh, every day of the week. Right now, I'm trying to get them done every day while the kids are in school. As long as they're not homesick, I should be able to get these shows out. Later today, if you happen to be listening to this show quickly after release, the great Aaron Bruski will have a live show over on YouTube. That is YouTube.com YouTube.com/sportsethos. And one more time, if you guys want to come work with us here at Sports Ethos, hit me up on Twitter at Dan Bespris. At Dan Bespris, we are looking for folks who want to cover teams on the reality side. If you have a team that you follow religiously and you feel like you could be an analyst for that team, I'm not talking about fantasy right now. I'm talking about covering a team as a podcaster, social media, whatever, combo platter. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespers. We'd love to work with you. We got a few in the hopper already. The response has been really good from these recruiting pitches, so I'm going to throw it back out there one more time, maybe a couple more this week. And then we'll talk more about fantasy recruiting probably starting next week. Okay, uh, I need more water. I'm at Dan Bespris again on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Make sure to go bookmark our trade deadline live show. That's just eight days from now, 7.30 in the morning Pacific time. We're going early, baby. We're going to get every damn bit of news on that five-hour deadline show. Ooh, it's going to be good. All right, have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. So long for now.